Hello, and welcome to Series 2 of Hello Judges. This is a podcast all about coffee competitions. I'm your host, Will Woodhouse-Banks. My guest this week is UK barista champion Ian Kissick. Ian is the founder of Formative Coffee, which is a high-end specialty cafe in Westminster. In fact, Formative's my favourite cafe in London, so don't miss it if you're in that area. When this podcast is hot, you'll perceive a high malic acidity. When warm, there are floral notes of jasmine and lemongrass. And finally, when the podcast is cool, you'll perceive a tea-like body with a lingering finish. Please enjoy. All right. Ian, welcome to the Hello Judges podcast series two. Oh, thank you, Will. Very exciting. I'm glad you're doing a second <laughs> series. Uh, congratulations on winning the UK Barista Championship. Thank you. Yeah, it seems a long time ago now. Uh, yeah. Well, it's t- only a today. Month yeah, t- today uh, we're recording on the same day as the finals as uh, Brewers Cup. But um, yeah, it was probably about a month ago now when you won the Barista Championships. Quite nice to have the two separate i feel like you can celebrate you know each event individually this way yeah i think like like you know as well from a competitor's point of view how busy it is generally backstage and it's it's nice to have a bit more time and a a little bit more like solitude in the practice room you know especially on the finals day yeah you're not kicking around like people's decanters in their boxes that they're unpacking on the floor and I think I think like everyone gets into their own kind of headspace, and some some people can be more positive, and some people can be a little bit less positive. But it it has a knock on effect as well. I think hearing people's like worries or struggles, you know. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's nice Brewers Cup final today. Uh, very exciting. Yeah, have you got um have you got a horse in the race? Is there anyone you'd like to win? Ah, uh, da, 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 da. we can. I think, uh, um, I was going to say we can edit this out if you uh, if you don't no, want to go on record. No, no, no. <laughs> like um, I think like it would be really nice to see Dave uh, Lieber win. Like he's someone who's been been in competition and in Brewers Cup, I think, a few times now. And like, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see uh, a reward for that person appearance. But I think like in general, there is a really good slate of competitors and Brewers Cup, especially. I think like. You really need to know what you're doing with a compulsory round. You need to be able to taste. You need to be able to make decisions really quickly because, you know, even a point or two points can cost you, like, going through the finals, going through the semifinals, or, you know, winning or a one to three space. So, yeah, it's an exciting competition. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, uh, particularly with compulsory and brewers, because yeah. um, without naming any names, like, you see like you know big hitters who've been in the finals people who've won it before like going out in the heats and the compulsories over the past couple of years yeah i think that like something about compulsories you need to have uh, you need to have a system you know because you have i can't remember how many minutes practice it is but let's say 40 minutes 30 or 40 minutes to practice and you can like taste your first brew and it can be bad and if you don't have a system to adapt to that like you're kind of lost and you're on your own. Like it didn't used to be the case that you were on your own, but now your practice time for a compulsory is, you know, individual. So that like, I can just imagine like you starting your compulsory time, tasting it and thinking, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a nightmare. I remember um, the year that Matteo won it. Um, I was hosting the, the heat that he competed in, uh, in Lancaster. And that he'd sort of done his uh, practice time for compulsory, and then it was it was in the roastery, and the cafe was mm. next door. And I went through into the cafe, and it was like him and Ryan, and I think maybe someone else from Watch House, and they just had like three paper cups of the same coffee, and they were yeah. sat in the cafe like tasting it, making decisions. Yeah, yeah I know. Like um, the last time I was really com- involved in um, in Brewers Cup was coaching someone that same year, actually, and. Like the ability to have someone else there with you, helping you, makes such a difference. I think in compulsory, whereas you don't have that now. You know, you don't have someone to to like sense check. You can't bring along someone who can, you know, actually taste coffee, and then you can't 
you know, so it's really reliant on building like the sensory ability and decision making ability and a system that you can go in and make decisions really quickly because that practice time just flies past. Yeah, the practice time always races past. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the thought, the talk, you know, conversation about having people taste for you, having a team around you. That's something we'll definitely dig into. Mm. But maybe I'll warm you up with some yeah, easier life <laughs> questions first. Sounds good. Uh, what coffee are you drinking at home at the moment? Uh, so at the moment, I am working through lots of sample roasts of coffee for competition. <laughs> so. So this morning I had one of the coffees that I won't be using um, for Worlds. Uh, it's a striped bourbon uh, produced by Wilkin Benitez, who I used uh, in UKBC. Uh, really nice coffee. Uh, you know, thermal shock, get uh, two fermentations and kind of yeast addition. So super fruity. I mean, like, to be honest, when I'm brewing at home, it's more or less functional. I'm usually burning toast at the same time or something. So it's just nice to have something that's kind of sweet and balanced. But this was this was super tasty. Amazing. I I uh I can't get my head around the idea of drinking like thermal sharks or anaerobics <laughs> like before ten o'clock in the morning. It's uh Yeah. I mean like literally I had it with toast this morning and it's a really funny combination, but like like I kind of enjoy a lot of the time the like uh like a natural Ethiopian in the morning is really nice with breakfast, I think. Uh, but also like Brazils are really good. That's that's quite a nice way to start the day. But I've been drinking, I guess, a lot of Colombia over the last few months. Yeah. It's a hard life. Yeah. <laughs> Such a hard life. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell me a bit about your background, like how you first got into coffee and how you ended up like opening your own cafe in London further down the line? Yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, so I moved to London from the middle of nowhere in Northern Ireland in 2011, and I moved to study computer science. Um, I kind of did something that I wouldn't recommend people do in that I just took every easy decision, like it made sense that I would uh, go for a summer job that was well paid, that I would take the job that they offered me at the end of the summer because I didn't have to apply for things after I graduated and then ended up in a job that really, like I wouldn't have chosen before I moved to London and that probably I knew was really bad for me. And that was like uh, in finance IT. I don't think like there were aspects of it I was very good at and there were aspects of it that I was very bad at, mostly because I really didn't like it. Um, and really my escape from that job that I hated was going to a coffee shop. So there was a Taylor Street Baristas like across the square from my uh, office. Every day I'd uh, go out and go and join this ridiculously long queue and order, I don't know, some very expensive medium flat white. And it was just really good. Like I'd been drinking like specialty coffee, uh, kind of lower end specialty coffee for a while um, through a coffee subscription that I got for a pound while I was a student. Um, but I think like, to be honest, Taylor Street kind of changed the way that I thought about coffee. And I started to see that coffee could be really tasty and be, I mean, what looked like a really successful business. Cause I think they were making like 1500 coffees a day in that shop. Um, which is kind of mad. Um, so I suppose over the year and a half or so that I worked in that job, like I just became more and more dissatisfied with the job, more and more interested in coffee, to be honest. So I started being one of those weird people that um, some of my customers are now, sorry, customers, um, but like has an arrow breath at their desk and like a hand grinder at their desk like brew coffee at their desk and yeah it was it was weird um but i eventually decided to quit um and i remember um telling my boss i was quitting and she said oh what are you gonna do i said oh i'm gonna set up a coffee subscription and she just had a bit of a smirk on her face <laughs> so that's what i did i i left and i set up like a multi-roaster coffee subscription um it was very basic to begin with um down the line we uh, got to the point where basically I wanted to buy coffee that I really, really liked, but we weren't charging enough for it. 
So it became kind of not economically viable. But that starting that coffee subscription gave me a bit of time to kind of get settled into the coffee industry, understand what I wanted to do next. I think in the medium term, my goal was to open a shop, open a multi-roaster cafe. Um, like Proofrock, I looked up to a lot. Uh, a few others uh, in London that I looked up to a lot and thought I want to do kind of what they do. Uh, serve amazing coffee from lots of different roasters. Um, you know, some of those shops have changed a little bit now, but that's that's what the aim was. So I decided I kind of needed to actually learn a bit about coffee before I set up a shop. Um, so I went and looked at looked at really kind of larger um, specialty brands in London. So like notes for example i looked at a workshop at the time had had a few more stores i looked at them and then i looked at tater street and tater street a they were hiring b they didn't require you to be a bar back for a year before you could actually touch the machine and it appeared that they had a really good training program so i went interviewed for a role um, and joined there worked at tater street for maybe a year um until I found kind of the right site um, to open my own store and left, spent about nine months planning and opening formative. And that opened in 2019 and here we are. That's a, that was a very long explanation and yet a very abbreviated one. It's good. It's, it's the content that uh people who want to know who Ian Kissick is, you know, mm. where's this uh, UK Barista Champion come from? People want to know. For sure. So it's all illuminating. <laughs> um, so a sort of like, I suppose, very slightly off topic. Uh, you guys started roasting your own coffee towards the end of last year. Yeah. Uh, do you still um, buy in and sell coffee from other roasters? Yeah. So we don't have any plans to not be a multi-roaster um if that makes sense we don't have any yeah. plans to not be a multi-roaster yeah we still intend to still buy in at you know a lower volume but certainly have retail and have an espresso and a filter coffee from other roasters that we really love i think that's quite exciting for a number of reasons like it's exciting for our customers because although they love our coffee they also like trying new things and sometimes new things is not a new origin it's a different roaster that it slightly different approach it's also exciting for the team and keeps us kind of honest about what we're doing um like just being able to taste coffee side by side on espresso and filter from what we're doing from our own production but also from other roasteries that we really admire helps us understand where we're at so that's the plan still be mostly roaster for the time being Great. Yeah, because if you just roast in your own and you have a cafe, sometimes you run the risk of getting into that self-perpetuating cycle where you know you like how your coffee tastes and then yeah. if you don't benchmark it against others, it can yeah. be a bit... Uh... Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And mostly we buy from roasters that we really admire. Uh, so that, that really helps us uh, see where we want to be as well and see how close we are to that. Excuse me. <laughs> That's a great way of doing it. So, um, how did you first get into competing in coffee competitions? Uh, Sorry about the, the long pause. I'm trying to make sure that what I say is accurate. <laughs> so, the first competition that I did, I think, was uh, UK Brewers. No, Brewers Championship. And that was at Taylor Street. That was in, I think, 2018. I'd been a barista for four months. Um, I think I like I looked up to Deanna Johnson, who was, uh, I think her title was head of training or training manager at Taylor Street at that time. He obviously had a lot of experience in competition, was very keen to get other people involved in it. And, you know, I had spent a lot of time trying to learn more about coffee really by watching like competition videos because obviously back in the day that was how you spread ideas about coffee now less so um 
you know, they're kind of there's a, a bit of a ceiling on innovation that you can present about in 15 minutes while also making uh, 12 drinks. But then that was the case. So I, I was really excited about competition. I looked up to a lot of successful competitors. And so like I decided to do Brits the championship then, uh, not with very much preparation. But that was good fun. And those were the days when it wasn't straight to heats. We still did 15 minutes um, presentation with 12 drinks. I went to Bristol with a, it was either a Rwandan or Burundian coffee. I think it was a Rwandan uh, because I really loved, I love Rwandan coffees. Um, you know, that's a rational choice. Uh, I had not actually practiced my full routine. Uh, I had a SIG drink, but I had never tasted it or prepared it. So the SIG drink was something along the lines of like a cold brew jasmine tea or Earl Grey tea and, and honey and espresso, maybe something else. It was very simple. But obviously the honey, you know, a lot of these venues that you compete in are quite cold. I put the honey in syringes because I thought, you know, that demonstrates accuracy and, you know, it's nicely measured. Of course, the honey kind of, it didn't freeze, but, you know, it become, became uh, very low viscosity. So it didn't really move out of the syringe at the rate I would want it to. So I think I went 50 seconds over time. And the results that I got were really good. Like if I hadn't gone over time, I would have gone through. But that was the perfect result for me because I was really inexperienced. I don't think I really wanted to compete again, like in the semi-finals that year. So I knew that I could do well, but didn't have to do anymore. So it was, it was quite a nice experience. Amazing. Yeah. 2018, it was, uh, that was my first competition as well. And it's, it is quite daunting going straight in for your first competition for the 15 minute full routine. Um, but I think it is quite a good like crash course in learning, like coming out the other side of that. Yeah, I think like there are benefits to having the shorter is it seven minutes. I think it's I always forget if it's seven or eight minutes. The shorter heat format. Yeah, we just have the two espressos and two milk drinks. But you know what? It is. It does kind of take away a little bit of the preparation for semi-finals and finals and i feel like um a lot of competitors they compete in heats and they get through and maybe it's a surprise that they get through or maybe it's you know they expect to get through but they you know they have to start from scratch because they maybe haven't actually thought about what they're going to do for 15 minutes on stage but obviously on the flip side like, it does make it a lot easier to actually enter and compete and do well if you only have to serve four drinks and speak for probably a total of like four and a half minutes. Uh, so there are pros and cons. I understand why like FTA UK does do the heat format the way it does. But yeah, for me, like I I, I quite like the 15 minutes, but then I'm willing to, to waste hours preparing that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not a short game getting ready for it, is it? So no, definitely not. Uh, last year, um, I watched I watched your heats routine, and you sort of you decided to enter on a whim the night before, and they stuck you on at the end of the day, and you you got through the heats. Yeah, that was fun. I think so. Last year was my I think it was the fourth year competing. Um, I competed for three years before that. First year I've already described, and the second and third year. One of them I went, I don't know, eight or nine or 10 seconds over time, and I didn't get through again because of that. The other year I didn't get through because, uh, I mean, like, these are easy excuses. Like, there's more to it than that. Obviously, I should have just scored more points. But the other year, I think there was a, I think the coffee was too fresh. That was the main issue. And I was just really fed up. I just thought, like, I put so much time and effort into this, and I can't do it again. I'm just gonna like end up going out again. I'm gonna look really stupid <laughs> doing this four years in a row where I still haven't got to semi-finals. But then um, I suppose last year came around and one of my uh, colleagues was competing. I went to watch his run through and I just thought, 
I really want to do this. Like, you know, I, I've had loads of discussions with um, like people who judge and compete about how fun it would be just to on a win turn up and compete without any preparation. I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I'll show up with a nice coffee, uh, see how it goes, and if I don't go through, there's it's like there's it's not embarrassing because I'm literally not prepared for it. And it's going to be a like conversation starter around how accessible com- competitions actually are. So that's what I did. Like uh, we had some really nice copies from Kawa and Paris on the shelf. I think uh, I think it was a mocha. Might be wrong. You no, use Mandela, the M- Mandela. Mandela. Yeah. yeah, Mandela from Cafe Gran Hela Esperanza, which is really tasty. I didn't actually taste it. <laughs> I had I had faith. Uh, I mean, I tasted it during my practice time. Uh, some of my colleagues had it at home and they cupped it and contributed what they thought it might taste like as espresso. Um, so yeah, that, that was the extent of my preparation. That and walking around an industrial park uh, where Chimbley's based in Elstree for about two hours talking to myself. Uh, that was the preparation. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the industrial park of Chimbley, I think, has seen many uh, nervous pacing. Yes, it certainly has. Uh, that and that hotel across the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then you got through to semi-finals, and it, you know, you ended up placing third, and it seemed like you sort of you were like, "Oh, right, I'm through now. I, be- I better like ramp it up and do it properly." Yeah, I think like. It was a weird time because at that time, I guess I had a roughly six month old child. Sorry, excuse me. Not emotional, just got a call. Um, six month old child um, who I had, had I, I think at that time I was looking after like five days a week because uh, my wife, I think had gone back to work by that point. Um, so there was that couldn't sleep very much but also like i'd gotten through finally so i wanted to actually do quite well so there are a lot of like i'm not going to say long but there are a lot of evenings like practicing we found a really nice coffee uh figured out a pretty decent sig drink i had had an idea of a theme uh which i ended up using this year instead but decided you know last year just to go a little bit a little bit more generic to be honest because i didn't feel i was like super ready to do what i wanted to do um so kind of put something together got to semi-finals and you know i like was glad to get to finals didn't think i was gonna win didn't to be honest want to win um last year that's a very easy thing to say but i really didn't want to go to australia it's <laughs> the expense and the time involved and you know having a very young child those were things i did not want to do um, and i also really wanted to see claire win because she was someone that from very early in my coffee career like kind of you know it's weird like you don't meet these people you don't know a lot about them other than they did well at a competition you kind of look up to them you know and you want them to do well so like yeah i was like oh i want to come second Come second from what Claire to win. Um, but third was good. Third was, you know, very close to second and Claire did win. So that was that was close to my objectives. Yeah. But actually that weekend, to be honest, like I was really, really sick. Not that it was a contributing factor. I just remember um I finished my, my routine and I didn't think I could actually go through with like the interview panel afterwards because I just felt so dead on my feet. And I was just glad to be finished. There. Isn't isn't that funny? That's like the relief, the relief of oh, it's done. Whereas this year it was quite different. Um, I had a completely different feeling after it finished. Yeah, relief as well, but different sort. You had a wild ride this year, though. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Yeah, that was, that was uh, pretty emotional. Uh, how did you um, approach preparing this year differently to last year? I think after I came third last year and we understood the score sheets and we understood kind of the technical aspects, both like, I don't mean tech scores. I mean, like things like how do we adapt to moving from 
sorry, I can't remember what the actual the proper names for these times are, but from the practice room or your practice time to setup time or preparation time or whatever it is. So moving from the practice room to the actual stage, how do we adapt to that? How do we make sure that we actually stay dialed in? You know, how do we come up with ways to maximize tech score? How do we like make the judges feel really comfortable in what we're doing? Once I'd understood that, I felt like I had a really, really good chance of winning it this year. Uh, so I guess about a week or two weeks after that, I sat down with Nick and Maya. Uh, Maya works for me. Nick's a really good friend. Um, and we decided that we wanted to basically do everything we could to win this year. Um, so that's maybe maybe 10 months ago now. And I'm not saying that we worked at it, you know, every day for 10 months, but by by September, I had two really firm ideas for what I thought would be an exceptional theme. We were starting to think about what we wanted in terms of coffee, starting to think about what we needed in terms of equipment and what we needed to score really high technical points. And we just worked really hard on getting to the point where it wasn't about how many points can we score, it was how many points can we avoid losing. <laughs> like, uh, I used to, like, maths used to be my thing, right? And I guess I got to the point doing maths exams where I was like, how can I lose zero points on this? Now, that's not really, really possible in coffee competition, but it was a similar mindset. That felt really good. Came up with a theme solidly around Christmas, built a table just after Christmas, and then spent a lot of evenings uh, preparing kind of a basic routine for heats, but also preparing from January the actual routine that we use in the UK. Late, uh, late evenings and then uh, Saturdays, and then closer to the time we uh, hired out uh, training space and spent basically every day there for pretty sided every for two weeks um had some like guest judges in uh to make me feel like i was actually competing which was super helpful so like claire um boris and rosa uh like i remember we set it up like a proper competition they came in and like shook my hand i was like i felt exactly the same as when I stood up on a competition stage and there's that kind of nerves and like, you know, it's it's completely different when you just practice in front of like your friends or your coaches all the time. You just become so, I guess, you see everything quite positively, you know, and if something goes wrong, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But like I dropped my tamper in front of Claire and Rosa. I was like, okay, I need a spare tamper on stage. So I guess like I dropped my tamper on stage and in front of Claire and Rosa and that kind of brought home to me the fact that every single thing I did, like there needed to be a redundancy because also I'm very clumsy <laughs> and uh, I have a condition that means I go numb down my left side basically most of the time because if I'm tired or have too much coffee or haven't have uh, too high stress basically i can't feel my left hand side uh so all those things mean that it's quite likely that i'll mess something up so yeah just having redundancies for everything super useful understanding pacing a little bit better because i always try to sp speak quite a lot on stage um but i think after that and that was maybe on the tuesday or wednesday before the semi-final which was on friday after that i cut a lot of the speech made it much simpler um made the workflow simpler made sure i had lots of space even of temper and yeah became a lot more comfortable i guess in what i was doing because i'd had that kind of stressful experience of being in front of judges i.e like claire and rosa and some other great people and that had forced me to understand what it would actually be like, not just what I thought it would be like because I was performing myself or just to my coaches, 
but because I was performing in front of people who understand competition and have done quite well in it. It's the same pressure and like you just feel completely different. You feel judged. <laughs> that was super useful. Yeah. Uh, that was probably the most most useful thing I've done. And I've always had other people come in and watch, but I think holding ourselves to a higher standard in terms of getting people into kind of judge um was super super that useful ties in kind of uh to one of our audience questions um sca's own jonathan wadham asked what's the smallest thing you've done that's had the biggest effect and uh do you have any other answers or do you think that's probably it you know i think that i don't i don't like to lack humility i don't like to don't like to brag but I do think I'm quite good. One of the things I'm quite good at is when something goes wrong, adapting to it, um, generally, but also in coffee competition. Um, I feel like I'm quite adaptable and can make decisions quickly, which is quite important on stage. And this is by no means a recommendation um, that people should do this. It's not necessarily directly linking it, but I do think having a child um, where <laughs> you have to be calm all the time, no matter what goes wrong. That's something that's really changed how I've been able to, you know, approach work, but also competition because things will go wrong. You still have to be calm. You have to be calm for your child. You have to be calm for the judges. You know, you have to sort it out. And like, so quite a lot of things went wrong this year and last year on stage, but I just like, was able to step back and know where the time was in my routine and not panic and just use what I understood of the rules to to try and get past the awkward situations. Yeah, my, my uh, highlights of uh, both days uh, from you were just the sort of the calm but disappointed sigh. Um, like, I'd like to call a technical timeout and it's a purge. <laughs> well, uh, my favorite, you know, thing, having briefly rewatched uh, the semi-final and the one where I called a technical, uh, was that they continued to run the footage of me walking around talking to myself quite grumpily in the background while a technician, and uh, I'm not sure exactly who was looking at it in the end, but while they were basically looking at the machine to make a determination, I'm just there kind of grumbling and talking to myself. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I hope sometime that video disappears off the internet. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, like, sorry, I think like in the heats, I think someone who I was quite excited to see compete, like the same thing happened to them with the group head and you know, I suppose relatively speaking, like I've competed quite a lot and it's the quick evaluation of this group head is leaking. I have tried to tighten it. Um, it's not made any difference. Can I recover my entire routine, you know, in time and finish within 15 minutes and score as well as I can and actually go through? Or is there a better chance if I call a technical timeout you know, maybe they'll decide I have to continue, but is it going to get any worse if I have to continue? Um, or they might decide to completely reset for me. Um, thankfully, it was the latter. Uh, yeah, I'm very grateful that that was the case. Yeah, that I think that's from experience. And also, like, yeah, as I say, I've tried to um, become a lot more calm in how I deal with things going wrong on stage had you practiced uh, a lot of things going wrong different scenarios of uh, potential errors on stage to an extent um i know that people always say you should practice these things but as i was saying earlier like i feel like when you're just training in front of like your coaches or people who are generally quite close friends like i don't I don't feel like that's super useful because I could have, like, we would have never thought, okay, how do we come up with a situation where you drop your temper 
Like, like, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Just don't do it. Um, yeah, so, so like, to an extent, but I think, like, the answer is no, essentially. I, I know that uh, Nick would have liked us to, but I basically don't see the point. I know that other people do. Uh, and, you know, Nick will sometimes try and move things around while I'm competing, but I'm not actively promoting that idea. Fair enough. Um, so before we get on to talking about WBC, I think we'll wrap up a few more little bits about UKBC. So I saw a, like a, a headline on Sprudge last night uh, about Joe Yang, who won the US Brewers Cup. Uh, he only moved to the US at age 30, mm. and he used chat GPT to correct his grammar for his routine. <laughs> and so it's like quite an empowering tool, and that sort of fits in a bit to like the theme of your routine. What yeah. made you pick that, and why were you passionate about it? I think, I mean, before I come on to exactly answering your question, I think, um, you know, I was chatting Jack backstage at the semifinals or finals to is Alex Wallace, uh, the guy from Caravan. Yeah. Currently at Caravan. Um, and he was saying, oh, yeah, I used ChatGPT to, like, help me, like, correct my speech, make sure my grammar was okay. And I thought that was really interesting. And obviously what you're saying about the U.S. Uh, Brewers Cup champion. I think that in a very short period of time, tools like ChatGPT or like Bard, which is Google's version, have just completely changed the way that people work. We maybe don't see a lot of that in frontline coffee service because it's quite different. But like in an office environment or in a customer service environment that isn't direct, like physically face-to-face, -face, AI is already empowering people to massively increase their productivity. Now, I suppose for a long time, I've had a really interest in the intersection of coffee and technology. And I've been kind of disappointed by the conversations around automation specifically that were happening a lot back in, I don't know, maybe 2016 to 2018. And just the kind of failure, in my opinion, of people who would be considered industry leaders uh, completely understand the trajectory. Like there was this idea that either, either cafes were gonna have like fully automated like systems, maybe with a really knowledgeable barista, or they were gonna have like really traditional espresso machines. But that's, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, like the scale was a strange idea a certain number of years ago, let's say a decade and a bit ago, like having a scale and espresso bar, that was ridiculous. A scale is a piece of technology. Then you have like the Black Eagle that we have in the shop that has the scale built in. That's another piece of technology, it's automation. We have grind by weight grinders, we have tuck press. Now those might not be add up to a super automatic machine, but they are tools that we can use to better enable us to consistently make great coffee quickly and focus on giving better customer experiences. So that kind of, I decided I wanted to talk about technology. And before Christmas, I'd been playing around a lot with um, like a few different large language models like ChatGPT. I just thought, well, what if we notionally write a whole routine with ChatGPT? Now, it is completely written. I, I think what I said was by or with the help. Like the entire routine up to this point is written by or with the help of ChatGPT, which is true. It, it wrote the entire introduction and then sections of it, it wrote itself. But the rest of it is just like, oh, here's what I think. Can you correct this? Um, but what really inspired me, I suppose, to, to particularly focus on that as a kind of twist is that I spent a lot of time kind of being like, oh, can you describe to me like uh, like washed Panamanian Geisha? And the answer that it would give me, although like, you know, models like this are, are vulnerable to 
making pretty obvious mistakes. The answer it gave me was better than most baristas would give me, better than probably the answer that I would give. And I just thought, well, okay, chat GPT is not going to be literally chatting to your customer in the cafe. But technology itself is a tool for us to create better customer experiences. Moving on to um, WBC. Um, oh, no, before WBC, why two coffees? Why did you use two coffees to make it harder for yourself? Uh, I guess, like, so we used a uh, natural Hartman Gesha that's standout roasted for us in the heat. And it scored exceptionally well on espresso. Um, I think we had fives, maybe. I can't remember, but definitely, like, four and a half. Um, so we're like, okay, we have something that works. Let's not change that. Now, we're not 100% sure, but it scored really badly on milk. And I think that that was, like, a technical error on my part where, like, uh, the basically... If you know the honest stem, the honest stem is like a little platform that sits on top of your scale. Your scale sits on the worktop. There's a little platform that reaches up uh, around the drip tray of the espresso machine. So essentially, you can set your cups on the this uh, stand, but you don't have to put your scale on the stand. So I think that my stem was actually touching the drip tray, so it didn't measure the uh the yield of the espresso correctly for my milk drinks but i'm not 100 percent sure but we just had that doubt in our mind and then i suppose actually let's say it must have been two days before the ukbc heats in london we were at plot um at their training space in woolwich and kind of dialing in our coffee for for heats actually and there was this uh canadian guy actually is English but he's moved to Canada or he's British I'm not sure that he's English he moved to Canada and he was uh back in the UK for a little while and he brought I think 15 different coffees from different roasteries in Canada and we kept them over lunchtime and literally like the first 14 um we the three of us myself my Nick felt were either like fairly average average coffees Maybe average coffees well roasted or good coffees badly roasted, but there's nothing like good. And the very last one we came to, I think we all tasted it. We just thought, what is this? Because, you know, a lot of us by now will have had the kind of, you know, thermal shock coffees. And but sometimes they have this. Like the uh, one I used last year. Was Lenny Bermudez from uh, Diego Bermudez Rosa Bar Manhattan, which was a fantastic coffee, but it tastes like slightly artificial, like slightly like I I don't think it's even a negative thing, like kind of confectionery-ish, like kind of like one of the notes is peach haribo, like it has that kind of taste. Whereas this, it was a similar idea. I think the fermentation is done in such a way that. Like, it doesn't taste fermented, it doesn't taste artificial, it doesn't taste, like, plasticky, if that makes sense. And we just, it, it wasn't the coffee that I used, but we looked into who this uh, producer was, and it turns out he's quite well known, um, but we kind of had to do a little bit of figuring out how we were going to get his coffee. There's a UK importer, uh, Johnny from My Cafe, or Me Cafe, um, who brings in Wilton Benitez's coffee. Um, we, uh, my and Nick, uh, at 7am in the morning, kept, I think, seven or eight samples from a competition range from Wilton. Um, and we bought a box of Gesha and a box of pink bourbon. And then later decided that we'd use pink bourbon for milk and signature drink. We were wavering on using, actually, his Gesha for espresso or the pink bourbon for espresso. Um, but we were just really happy with hybrid scored and heats, to be honest, with, with uh, Hartman Gesha. That's a good answer. It makes sense. Yeah. If, it, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so WBC's coming up. Um, how are you feeling about the rule changes? Because finals in the UK were still on last year's rules. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't really dug into this, the actual 
sensory side of the rule changes. And I'll I'll lean a lot on my coaches for that, to be honest. But the actual routine that I wrote, I sat down and wrote it and came up with the idea for the tables and finalized the theme. When the rules had just been published, but the UK hadn't announced whether they were going to use those rules or not. So I thought, why don't I assume they are? Um, and then even if they're not, it doesn't matter. And the real the real like rule change to me that's interesting is that I can't remember how many points or what the particular phrasing is, but there's a much higher weighting towards presentation. So I thought, right, I need a really strong theme. I need a theme at some point from, this isn't the phrase they use, but from seed to cap, they have a particular phrase, I can't remember. Anyway, um, I need to score really highly on presentation and it needs to link with every course really, really well because that is going to score me so many more points. If we can nail everything else um, from a sensory perspective and a descriptive perspective, and there's work to be done there, if we can nail everything else and score really high on those new presentation points, I think we will stand a good chance of you know getting through the semis and whatever might happen after that. Um, so that's really exciting. Alternative milks, like, I don't feel really strongly about. I understand why people do feel strongly about it, like, especially if you're vegan, like, having to compete with cow's milk, having to serve cow's milk in general must be a bit of a downer if you work as a barista. Like, I don't I don't personally have an issue with drinking cow's milk, so it's never been something I've, I've personally thought I really want there to be alternative milk. But I'm glad that there is because it allows more kind of opportunities for us to actually play around with what a milk drink's gonna be. I'm not 100% certain how that's, how like scoring is gonna work, um, but we are tasting a lot of uh, dairy alternatives um, and trying to figure out what's gonna pair best with the coffees that we've chosen. Great, well, that ties into my next question as well. Like how else are you preparing for WBC? Because there's a lot of like, you know, logistics you need to think about, like how do you get your milk there? How, like how's the coffee gonna degas when you travel? Thankfully, you're only going to Athens rather than somewhere yes. like Australia. Yeah, for sure. I mean, logistics, yeah, that's a bit of a nightmare. because we obviously have a table that we want to bring. So we're building a different version of, well, actually Paradox um of paradox coffee but they also have the kind of design business they are uh, gonna build the table in two parts and then we're hoping to solidify some space on a shipping container um to take most of our stuff to athens uh but that needs to be sent obviously a bit earlier um so that's logistics covered milk uh we one of the appeals of using alternative milk especially from a bigger brand, is that it should be fairly universally available. Uh, but also, we don't have to worry about, like, if we do take it in a suitcase, that it's going to be seized because it's not a dairy product. Um, sorry about the people walking past. So we don't have to worry about it being seized because it's a dairy product, but we also don't need to worry so much about, like, a short shelf life. There is a product that we're looking at, which is, a commercially available i mean it's not commercially available yet but it's in development it's a uht commercial freeze distilled milk for competition it's being produced uh somewhere in europe um and we're trying i mean i've had some but i haven't had it with my coffee but we're trying to get some to the uk so we can test it because obviously it should be uniform here and should be easy to get in Athens, because they can just ship it to us, and it's UHT, so it's a super long shelf life. So thinking about things like that is quite interesting. And we've been told that the milk in, in Athens is not great, but we do have some good contacts to try and get the best milk in Greece, if if it comes to that. But we'll just we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But my wife does keep asking me, so what's happening with the milk? I think she's she's very paranoid about the milk situation. Um, it used to be me going over time. Like, you have to make sure you don't go over time this year. But now we're onto the milk, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> with the coffee side of things, degassing, I mean, it's not something I have a lot of experience with, but 
um, Nick, who will roast our competition coffees. Um, we have a plan to have 10 different roasts, um, some of which we'll take in suitcases and some of which we'll ship, as in like some of each roast, so we can understand how that's landing on Athens water and pick kind of the, the best of those 10 for for each course which is kind of insane but i'm glad he's doing that and not me yeah you gotta do stuff like that it's uh I'm, like i'm glad nick's doing that for you as well <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah i mean like the pink bourbon um that we used for milk and safety uh i think we had 15 different roasts for it um i mean all of that has been used it's all gone to waste uh but that's uh yeah allowed us to pick the very best of like 15 roasts all of which were quite good um and we we just felt really confident going into like the semi-finals and finals that the coffee tasted great i think that's a good thing for your performance like you've got that sort of energy boost of knowing the coffee tastes amazing so you can go on stage and feel confident that you're gonna you know I, I feel like if you're invested in it, if you love it, you, it's going to show and you'll give a better performance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we uh, we kept potential coffees uh, for Worlds maybe last Monday or the Monday before. And we had a bit of a discussion about one of the coffees that on, was on the table that has done historically very well at Worlds. And it was one of our, I think, the top three and it was kind of, we had a discussion, okay, would we use this? And, you know, there's one side of the argument, which is, yes, it's done very well before. Then the other side was, okay, I understand that this is a good copy. I understand why people like it. And I understand why it's scored well. But I don't actually like it. I don't think that my coaches particularly liked it. So why would we, like, why would we choose that coffee? You know, like, it has to be something that you enjoy. And just because something's done well before does not mean something new won't do better than that. Uh, so there's there's a lot of thoughts about like uh, how well those coffees are going to land and how we choose a coffee. And kind of the history of that producer is important. But it's not that important. Like the main thing is that it's a coffee that you can describe well, and that tastes really good, and that you enjoy. So that's kind of the the basic principles that we're trying to operate off. Absolutely. So we'll we'll wrap up with some slightly lighter stuff. Like aside from maybe, what advice do you have for first time competitors? Uh, I guess don't focus on making it look good. The first time I competed, I spent a lot of time looking for an apron. It's like why? Like you just need something functional. Make sure everything's functional that it works. That it's comfortable for you. Um, instead, focus on you're not going over time. Like, there's no point on scoring really well. I mean, I know this scoring really well on like your espresso course or your milk course or whatever. If you go over time, uh, try not to get DQ'd. That's also useful. So obviously, that means understanding the rule. Also, thinking about like okay, like the simple logistics of how it will work on the day. Like, I need to remember not to have ever anything on the floor and reading the rules and actually thinking about how that all apply in the day those can be quite like divorced concepts and kind of hard to apply um find someone who can taste maybe they can taste coffee maybe they can taste something else but someone who can give you some sensory feedback because obviously a big part of the point scored is in your accuracy of like describing what you're tasting um you need to be very organized, uh, make lists of everything. You make lists of what you have to pack, lists of which box everything is in, uh, lists of things you need to do during your practice time, uh, lists of like what you need to do during your uh, setup time on stage. Like, yeah, make endless lists of things. Like. I don't have a lot of free time, but when I have free time, I find myself making new lists of things. 
because that's like whenever you're stressed that's the thing i mean competition does induce a bit of stress whenever you're stressed a lot of those things that seem obvious to you earlier go out the window when it comes back to what i was saying about brewers cup earlier if you don't have a system for your compulsory time i don't understand how you're going to do well you need to be able to like okay let's for example brew three cups or copy on different parameters okay taste them all okay what do i do next on what basis do you make that decision so for every little point of barista competition if you can have an idea of what happens at that point what you need to be doing at that point that's really useful like when i arrive at the venue okay if i've arrived within two hours of my practice time what do i do i need to unpack everything do i have a separate box for all my stuff for the practice room like where is that stuff what about my stuff for my actual competition time is that different stuff is it the stuff i need for a practice time or is it separate is it clean already like where is it going to go on my cart and each of those decisions that you make beforehand and you document beforehand make it easier for you on the day because what you want to be doing on the day is making sure that coffee tastes good and that you remember your flavor notes like and the more that stress that you can remove by making this the better and then i guess like the big piece of advice is to have people around you that bring skills that you don't have like i i think i have reasonably good sensory skills but i'm not like calibrated and i don't because i spend a lot of that time just like looking after my son i'm not like tasting coffee all the time and i'm not describing it i know what i like i know roughly how to describe it so i have two coaches both of whom are very good at describing either the tactical part or the flavor part um one of my coaches is a roaster that's very useful what i bring i know is some organization some overview of everything that we're doing and like the kind of theme and concept and obviously the 15 minutes where we talk a bit on stage but i need people who can who can roast the coffee who can cup the coffee with me make decisions about how we're going to brew it you know help me think through signature drink um help me like not have to do the like thousand things for competition that need to be done like i can just say look can you go away and do this for me and then i'll come and taste it in a month and i know that it'll be fantastic you know like my signature drink which was uh created by ai uh you know that was something that i said to maya can you go away and create something uh, around this coffee and i will taste it later i think i tasted it once or twice before competition day it was just it was ridiculously good like, like uh, it's not something i have a talent for some people have a talent for signature drinks and it's really useful to be able to outsource that to somebody else yeah signature drink is such hard work it's my least favorite uh thing to work on yeah so that's that's a lot of tips and probably there's more but yeah hopefully those are valuable to somebody i'm sure they are i think they are um do you have, have any to compete again well uh, <laughs> let's not get into that <laughs> good, good idea it's a rabbit hole uh it's, it's definitely a rabbit hole watch it watching the finals this year i was like oh i can't believe i'm not there but also yeah. i was like oh i'm so relieved i'm not there yeah it's the stress yeah um do you have any guilty pleasures they can be in coffee they can be in your general mm. life uh general life oh really like harry potter also i don't have a tv anymore but when i did i really liked neighbors you know, the, like Australian, uh, so that was great. <laughs> Don't really have any coffee guilty pleasures. Um, nah, I think I think those two are there. So bad, <laughs> especially neighbors. They're so good. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else that you were like hoping to talk about anything you wanted to talk about competition wise before we wrap uh, it up that's, that's a very good question 
I don't know, I'm just really excited to hopefully go and watch a bit of Brewers Cup. You know, like, uh, it's a competition I don't, you know, I've helped someone compete in it before, and I've competed in it once myself, again, on a whim, with zero practice. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I do want to get into whether you're going to compete again, Will. Why don't you do, so, why don't you, you do uh, another competition? You do Brewers uh, Cup. The or thing cup is... Tasters, even. I've I've done cup tasters twice, uh, and I came fourteenth twice, and I thought I'm not into this. What about um, what do you call them? Cup North, uh, you know, Birmingham Coffee Festival and uh, Manchester Coffee Festival. Doing this, uh, it sounds like a plug, but I think it's quite cool. It's not a plug. I I might compete in it, and um, but they're doing this uh, extracted development or something. Yeah. It's a roast roaster and barista competition. What I didn't realize about this competition was you can't choose your pair of roaster yeah. and barista. I think something like that's really fun and it's relaxed. And I always feel like that. Like I've never been to Birmingham Coffee Festival, but Manchester Coffee Festival, it's just fantastic. Like it's compared to one that's in this city. Um, so relaxed and so friendly and like it's just the right amount of busy and cup tasters i know that like both of us have probably competed in cup tasters a few times and not done really well but it's fun yeah and it has a nice atmosphere i feel like this is an opportunity to be uh, quite an exciting kind of fresh competition like where the stakes are high but not high in one sense like they'll probably have some good prizes but it's not like barista competition where we all take it ridiculously seriously yeah <laughs> yeah should do something like that so i i've thought about it i i've like i've thought about everybody competition and i've promised dan <laughs> fellows i'll do um coffee and good spirits if they oh, ever if they ever go. let you use non-dairy cream for the irish coffee uh, yeah well maybe that's the next step I mean, it makes sense since they've done alternative milks. Yeah. In, Barista, uh, Barista Championships is like, I think it would be silly for me to not do it since I've always whinged about having to use cow's milk. Yeah. Um, but then I said to myself, like, right, you know, I had a really intense time last time I competed. I put uh, yeah. myself under a lot of pressure and I was like, I don't want to do it again unless I've got like a theme that I'm really passionate about. Like, yeah. Like I want to stand on a soapbox and have my message heard, um, yeah. and like I keep telling that to people. But um, maybe I've started to stop believing myself, and maybe I just want to do it because I enjoy it and like yeah. I have fun. Like I'm not a competitive yeah. person at all, yeah. but there's something about that sort of you don't feel like you're competing against other people. You're playing a game to try and collect as yeah. many points as possible, and yeah. like. I, I sort of I love the nerdery around it, but I also I get so bored by some like really straightforward, dull technical yeah. routines. Yeah. So I'm trying to come up with something fun, something that I enjoy that will score a load of points, and yeah. then then I'll I'll probably have to do it again. Yeah, I think so. And you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot is that as a chapter, like the SCA SCA UK really benefits from having the most like the most experienced competitors it can retain right because you know if you competed again you come second before and if i competed again and claire competed again and paul competed again all in the same year like it really pushes us to be at a higher standard you know what i mean i think like in one sense you know this is a bit of a hobby for me, like coffee competition. Like it's fun, but it's also, it's also when it comes down to it, whenever you set yourself goals can be really, really, really stressful. Um, but if it can be fun and if we can actually foster, I think more of a collaborative environment around competition, like we can hopefully retain more competitors and really push the UK to be like at the top of the world more and more often because i think like the uk obviously the uk coffee scene is really from my perspective london centric but you have these pockets of you know, brilliant specialty communities throughout the uk like edinburgh like northern ireland northern ireland you walk you go through these uh, you don't walk you drive drive through these towns of ten thousand people or so and they have 
ridiculously good coffee shops. You have people that really care about coffee. Like, I think we should have a heat there, given that uh, Northern Irish uh, members of SCA pay their fees to SCA UK. But, uh, like, throughout the UK, all these pockets of people who are really passionate. I think that if we can actually retain and grow and build a more collaborative environment around competition through things like what uh ollie jones has done with uh been there done that kind of talks in collaboration with sa uk we all stand to benefit because like it's such a great opportunity to meet people yeah but also it pushes us to think about what is actually meaningful in coffee and i i agree with you about being bored by a lot of technical routines. I mean, some of my routines have bored me. <laughs> you know, like, but if we retain, sorry, I keep saying retain, but if we retain people who've done well, that means that we really have to keep pushing the bar. You know, I don't think what I did this year was overly amazing. You know, I think there's a lot more room for improvement. I, I, like the last time I saw Claire, I told her that she should compete again. Um, because it holds us all to a higher standard. Yeah. yeah. So do it. <laughs> or else. Uh, I, won't, I won't make any promises, but I, <laughs> yeah. like, I can't, I might, I've tried to hide it from the world, but I just bloody love doing it. So yeah. I'm, I'm just going to have to do it. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, oh, it is easy for me to say, having just won it. Like, I, I appreciate that. Anyway. And you know, it is what it is, right? I think yeah. uh, I think this is a pretty good positive high note to uh, end the recording of the podcast on. Well, great to chat, Will. Yeah, great to chat. Uh, in. See you soon. Yeah, good luck at the World Barista Championships. Thank you. Can't wait. <laughs> that sounds like it's sarcastic, but it's true. Yeah, you'll smash it. See you soon. See you soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Hello Judges. I loved catching up with Ian just off the back of his UKBC win and I'm super excited to see how he does in Athens at WBC. It's been quite a long one this week but hopefully a good bit of insight into the level of prep it takes to win the Barista Championships. If you want to chat comp or have any questions you can hit me up on Instagram at WAWBanks or you can email me at hellojudgespodcast at gmail.com. It's been my pleasure to share this podcast with you today, celebrating advances in coffee podcasting all the way from seed to cup. Thank you. Time.